Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Welcome to Breaking the Silence. I'm Greg Williams. Welcome to the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas. And I'm actually looking over right now outside my home's window at the NRG Stadium where the Texans just won their game yesterday and getting ready to go even further into the into the playoffs and possibly into the Super Bowls. That's exciting for us. Sorry to hear about Dallas uh, losing just a few minutes ago, but hey, uh, this could be the Texans year. You just never know. But thank you for being with us tonight. We have a unbelievable program this evening. We have a guest that we tried to get on with a full hour last time. We had some technical difficulty of patching him through. But hopefully we're trying to find him now and get him patched in now so we can actually see and hear him this evening. But we will talk about that uh, when it's time for our guests to come on in the program. Uh, there's a couple, two or three ways you can get involved tonight, like we always offer. You can get uh, involved by calling 888-776-008. We'll patch you in straight to the BBS radio station, and they will talk to you and bring you right on and let you comment or question with me and the guest uh, live completely around the world. So uh, you're welcome to do that. You can also get on my Facebook page, Shattered by the Darkness. I'm looking at it right now over here on my iPad, and it looks like my son Curtis has it up running. Uh, no snacks, no slowness. It's up running full speed ahead. So you can get on there and comment, or you can call me at 832-396-6525. Don't call, but text tonight during the show if you have a question, and I'll be glad to during the commercial break check and see if there's any questions you want me to ask our guest. Been up in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, this week, drove 509 miles there and 509 miles back and just escaped uh, the Midwest during uh, what now is going to be, I think, the first uh, blizzard blast that's going to be hitting our country. Uh, and everything's going to get really, really cold, including here in, in Houston. Uh, but it was awesome conference, the Demand Project up there. We had conference room full, cram-packed full of Tulsa police officers, sheriffs, undercover agents, private investigators, counselors, um, teachers, advocacy center folks, social workers. It was nurses. Uh, it was just an unbelievable conference. Had uh, some great sessions with them and uh, made some wonderful Contacts, and I hope to have a few of them 
uh, being interviewed on the radio show. Uh, so hopefully we have some new listeners tonight. So welcome all the Tulsa folks, and thank you for being so kind and uh, being so welcoming uh, to this Texan uh, a few days ago. We're going to be traveling to San Antonio later part of the week, uh, and in that we're going to be in a San Antonio Boeing Center, I believe, is where it's at. Sounds like a big place to me. Uh, Boeing Convention Center and going to be there uh, with some VIPs. It includes the mayor of San Antonio, uh, congressman, and also the governor of the great state of Texas. And uh, Governor Abbott is going to be there. So we're going to have some a great session, and that's going to be about uh, abuse, human trafficking, and how possibly we can uh, look at how the media uh, presents it and what the reality is compared to how the media, and then hopefully get with some politicians a little bit and do some work uh, behind the scenes, maybe to change uh, some legislation that needs to be changed uh, in in our country and especially in our state, uh, specifically in our state of Texas, to make it better uh, to be able to keep those perpetrators behind bars where they belong if they have abused our children. So um, I, I like to just start off with a few minutes. I'm trying to make sure uh, our guest is here. And when I get that nod or that chat uh, from our radio people, uh, I will cut my words short and go right into uh, our guest this evening. But, you know, there there's things that are wrong to do in life. And we all know that telling the white lie and fibs and and blatant lies are just so wrong to be doing in life. We all get caught up in something that sometimes drags us down. But the worst lies uh, are the ones that we subconsciously tell ourselves. They've, they've been ingrained in our mind uh, by some really bad and negative external influences. And then when that gets in there and starts messing up there in the attic, of our our gray matter, it starts turning into negative thinking. And I want to try to, as we are starting this new year, 2024, I want to try to kind of help you unclutter some of that stuff, uh, unload some of that baggage uh, to be able to clean up uh, the mess that sometimes we do to ourselves. So we're not talking about lies that you tell other people. These are lies to stop telling yourself. One, a lie that we tell ourselves all the time is I don't have enough yet to be happy. And the happiest people in the world aren't the luckiest, and they usually don't have everything and the best of everything. They just make the most of everything that comes their way. The reason that so many people give up is because they tend to look at what's missing and how far they still have to go instead of what's present and in their possession and just how far they've come. Okay, anyway, let's re-rewind that a little bit. Let me repeat that a little bit, okay, one more time. The reason that so many people give up is because they tend to look at what's missing and how far they still have to go instead of what is present and how far they have already come. So 
to, to tell yourself that you don't have enough yet to be happy is a lie, okay? Give rid of that. Two, my dreams are impossible to achieve. Don't let someone who gave up on their dreams talk you out of going after yours. Just because they didn't make it and they're uh, Debbie Downer and they're saying, hey, there's just no way you can do it. Don't, don't be reeled in by that. Don't be manipulated by that. Keep on following what that dream is because the best thing you can do in your life is to follow your heart. And we are all created differently. We are all created specifically for a purpose. And your purpose isn't the same as mine. And I promise you, my reason for existence and being created is um, is to be able to do what I have been designed to do, not what you have. Um, so it, it looks like, so remember that. It looks like we're still having trouble getting our guest on, but they're working on it. So I'm going to keep on going and get through these. So take risk. Be willing to take bold steps and let your dreams be bigger than your fears and let your actions speak louder than your words. Do something every day that your future self is going to thank you for. Do something every day that your future self is going to thank you for. Number three. I'm only going to do a couple more because it sounds like we at least have audio contact with our guests. So I don't want to, to take uh, time away from him. But let me give you a couple couple more and then we'll bring Scott in. Then I'm stuck with the people who hurt me. Um, if someone had continually mistreats you, if someone doesn't have enough respect for you, have enough love and respect for yourself to leave them alone and separate from them. Step out of that inner circle that has them involved. Uh, it may hurt for a while, but it'll be okay. You'll be okay. Oftentimes, walking away has nothing to do with weakness and has everything to do with strength. One more, and then I'll stop. Just a line, and we'll pick these up next week. And listen to this one. My past, this is a lie that I tell myself a lot. My past is 100% indicative of my future. At some point, we've all made mistakes. At some point, we've all been walked out on. We've all been used. We've all been forgotten. But we shouldn't regret one moment of it. Because in those moments, we learned a lot from making bad choices. Uh, and even though there are some things we can never, never, never recover, and people who will never be sorry, we know now better for the next time. And I think that's important to understand that your past is not indicative of your future. And make sure you hang on to that and never give up on it. Tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and bring our guest in tonight. We had him on uh, a few weeks ago. I believe it was back in the last uh, of November, the last Sunday evening in November. is right the Sunday after Thanksgiving, November 26th. We had Scott Hoffman 
uh, with us. And he came in and, and was having technical difficulties and, and came in. We only had a few minutes to share, but I wanted to get him on. And he promised me that he would come back and, and do another program with us. So he's with us. Now, if you don't remember, Scott Hoffman wrote a book, uh, and he's the author of Inside. And Inside tells about the chronicles of the inner workings of his dad that was, that loyally served the outfit, a mafia organization for over 55 years. And the outfit is what they call it. And we'll get more details about the outfit was the fifties and sixties in the fifties and sixties, which Scott witnessed as his father was involved was part of many of the historical events. Uh, concerning some major mob families, which included gambling, loan sharking, drug trafficking, money laundering, political corruption, and even murder. And we are welcoming tonight Scott Hoffman from the great state of Illinois and the wonderful Cook County, Chicago, Illinois. Scott, can you hear me this evening? Yes, I can. Thank you, Greg. Well, I don't get to see your pretty face tonight, but at least we get to hear your voice. Yeah, at least we can get the interview in. That's the main thing. I tell you what, that is right. Sometimes, you know, uh, the older I get, the less I understand technology, and um, I, I'm just not a good tech guy. Well, neither am I, so we're in the same company. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I want to tell you what, I read your book, and of course, we talked about it just briefly. So we're just going to kind of tell me about what was the reason, Scott, uh, and what makes your book different than all the other mob books, all the other mafia books. Why would I want to pass up theirs and reach on that bookshelf for Inside? Well, because, you know, Greg, because it's seen through the eyes of a child, okay, because I was eight years old when I was starting, when I started to go to Las Vegas with my father, who had to plan for the seven hotels and seven casinos in Las Vegas. So it's not being told by someone who was already involved in, the, in an or, a crime family organization, an older person, uh, someone who had maybe been in for several years. You're, you're getting an eight-year-old child telling you what he's seeing and what is going on in his life at that point of his life. The role that your father had in the outfit uh, was what? What was his official role in that? Well, he had, he had several, but his, his main role was, it started out, he was the manager for Paul Rica with Sam Giancana. He was his consigliere which is an advisor, and basically you're doing whatever the uh, boss wants you to do. And he reported to Tony Accardo, who was the C equivalent of the CEO at that time. And uh, later he was a consigliere for Joey Ayupo, who took over day-to-day -day operations in 1973. So a consigliere is kind of like what, what, who was it, Robert Duvall that played it uh, in The Godfather? Yeah, yeah, he would be like, be like that, yes. He would carry out various duties, various things, uh, you know, that the uh, the boss would want done. So, yeah, definitely, it would be along that line. On a flow chart, it's the same as an underboss who has control of, of the street crew on the street and would report back to the boss 
telling them what is going on. But it's the same right. level. Kind of like a, a manager, advisor, organizer type thing. Yes, yeah, that that type of thing. Uh, in other words, doing things that the uh, maybe the boss didn't want to do and wanted you to do type of a thing. You were the intermediary in a lot of cases. Right. Right. And your father was in the organization for 55 years plus? Yeah, yeah. Was he ever brought in for questioning? Was he ever handcuffed and put behind bars? Was there ever anything that was pointed on him that tarnished his reputation and who he was? Well, when I was 10 years old, uh, the FBI, referred to always as the G, uh, six agents came and Three of them took my father, take my father downtown for questioning. And the other three stayed in the apartment and started emptying out drawers, throwing stuff on the floor. They're not like your television FBI, okay? They'd step on clothes. They're looking for documents. They're looking for things that they could use. And my father, before he walked out, told my mother, just call the lawyer, which he did. And he came home about seven or eight hours later. And uh, they released them. You know, it was basically questioning. They took them, but they cuffed them and they walked them out. And this was about six o'clock in the morning when I was 10 years old. And then he went before a grand jury. We had two FBI agents on the payroll. And one of the agents tipped my father that you were going to get subpoenaed for a grand jury appearance. And he got subpoenaed on a grand jury appearance. And um, before, before the actual proceedings took place because in the grand jury room there's only the prosecutor the judge either 17 to 23 uh, jury members and you're called just like you would be called for regular jury when you get a notice and you meet once a week in Chicago it's every Wednesday that a grand jury meets and my father before it all started said your honor I'd like to talk to you but I think we need to talk uh, without the jury present so the judge sent the jury into a jury room to wait and he said, Mr. Hoffman, what do you want to talk about? And he said, Your Honor, he said, I would like you to have the uh, AUSA, Assistant U.S. Attorney, show you an order that a federal judge has signed off uh, that would allow for uh, wiretaps. And he said, okay. And he turned to the AUSA, and he said, do you have that, uh, that form? And, and the AUSA said, well, uh, the FBI lawyer okayed it. And the judge got Pretty, pretty hot, okay? He said, that's not the way it works. He said, you're supposed to go, but you know the rules. You're supposed to go before a federal judge and do a show cause indicating why you want a judge to sign off on legal wiretaps. And he told my father, you can go home, okay? And, we, and I guess he called the jury back and dismissed the jury. And that was the only time my father was ever before a, a grand jury. That was That was the only time. Well, you said something interesting. You had two FBI agents uh, on the payroll. Was there ever? Yeah, a time we had two. On, we had two have... on the payroll. Oh, yeah, they were they were full time. We had uh, we had fifty Chicago police officers, thirty sworn, and twenty who had been uh, either fired from the, their job due to mob activities or resigned before they were going to be fired for mob activities, and they were used in Las Vegas. We had thirty uh, Cook County deputies. Deputy Sheriff on the payroll as needed, as the police were as needed. And uh, we also had six Illinois state troopers on the payroll as needed. The two FBI agents were needed, so they were full-time on the payment. And the reason we had a lot of law enforcement is 
this is something the general public doesn't know, that when they send out a juice collector, okay, or a street enforcer to collect money, juice collectors would be collecting uh, money for on gambling loans or on interest on loan sharking money, and a street enforcer basically would be collecting, could be collecting the same, some families it's the same, but normally they would be collecting um you know, money, street tax money that would be owned, whether it was a business, a bar, whatever the business would be, they'd be getting what the percentage is supposed to be. And what it is is those collectors get half, okay? So that's why people are very aggressive when they're going out looking for money, juice collectors, street enforcers, because they basically get half. It's almost like a commission, okay? Right. So that's why they're beating people, they're holding them under and, uh, on gas stoves, their face above the flame, I would see. Yeah, that that's what it was all about. Did your father ever have a point in his life that you, him, or your mother were ever in physical harm or threatened <laughs> to be harmed? No, not not us. Him, yeah. <laughs> in his case, yeah, because a lot of guys didn't like him in the outfit. They never liked him from the beginning, Okay. Yeah, for several reasons. First of all, he wasn't Italian. He was Jewish. And uh, him and Sam Giancana hit it off right away, right right from the beginning. So there were guys who would always tell me when I was a little boy, when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, they would tell me, they would say, you know, we're, when we get the chance, we're going to kill your father. We're going to kill your Jew father, your kike father. They'd use a slang. And it's a lot for a child to hear. You know, it's an awful lot for a child to hear that someone's out to kill your father. But as far as the rest of the family, no. And when these guys did get an opportunity to run day-to-day, it never happened. Okay, so and a lot of that was because my father's reputation with Las Vegas, other plans he had, other things he was doing. Yeah, he built up a reputation with Tony Accardo and Sam Giancana and Paul Rica, and they're running the show, and Joey Ayupa later on. So those are the guys that are running the show, and they're going to direct traffic as far as what you're going to do. So if anybody had any ideas, it was only in their head. They could never execute it. So your father wasn't just known of these big four guys that you just named. He actually was inner circle with these Correct. major leaders. Inner circle. I'm talking Correct. inner circle. He knew secrets that nobody else knew. Correct. Yeah, he knew. <laughs> he knew because they would talk to him. They would tell him. You know, like when Sam Giancana, originally when my father had the plan for Las Vegas, uh, Paul Rica didn't say much. You know, he just listened when my father met with him. And Sam Giancana and Tony Accardo, Sam Giancana says, well, we'll see. Tony Accardo was against it right from the beginning. He said it's a flash in the pan. Bugsy Siegel just came up with a one-time deal. It's not going to work. And my father says, yeah, we can make it work. And he said, uh, Tony Accardo said, well, how are we going to make it work? And he said, well, what we'll do is we'll bring the uh, stolen money, the bad money, gambling money, loan sharking money, the illegal money to Las Vegas. We'll buy the chips, and then we'll cash the chips in, and we'll bring the money back clean. And when Tony Accardo heard that, that the money could be brought back clean, that they weren't going to have to money launder it outside the country or, you know, that type of a thing, he said, go ahead with the plan. <laughs> and that's when the plan because that started. that was huge. You would have had to pay a percentage, would you not? If you went out of the country or something like that, the expense of that would take uh, a piece of the pie. Oh, yeah, sure, because who you're working with, they want a piece of the action, you know, so they want their share. 
it's like uh, an agent for uh, a Hollywood star. You know, they get their commission. Or an agent for a, a professional athlete, or you know, anyone that uses an agent, they get their commission. Yeah. Is Vegas? So they didn't want to really still... do that if they didn't have to. Right. Right. Is Las Vegas still the center of uh, mafia activity? Is that one of the, still the hubs that mafia runs that uh, no. day in, day out? Yeah, they've been out. Yeah, yeah. So they're not Last... in there like they used to be? No, no. In 1999, there were seven casinos out of the 100 that are in Las Vegas, and they were under mob watch, basically, and that disappeared. It became all corporate. Became all corporate, especially when the outfit uh, was kicked out basically on the trial, the 1985 trial. After that, it all became corporate entities that bought casinos, owned casinos, and everything changed. You know, the whole operation changed of how they ran things. So it became a, a very corporate city in the corporate setup. So, like you're talking about, like uh, Hard Rock Casino, that, yeah, that organization yeah. now yeah. owns that, those type of things. Yeah, Harris came in, Boyd came in, Boyd Gambling. You know, corporate people that uh, had gambling operations in other cities, possibly, they came in and they basically took over and uh, turned it into a corporate world. So not being the the brightest color in the the crayon box here, um, they didn't just go away. They went someplace else. Uh, so where did all the the mafia folks go to, and where are they predominantly working now to make and control their underworld? Well, it, they went into different operations. I mean, some some uh, Las Vegas and Florida was always open. Okay, those two areas were always open. Any mob family could operate, and you didn't see many in Las Vegas because my father got a foothold as much as in Florida, which still operates today. Some went to offshore gambling. Uh, some went into uh, businesses like cleaning businesses, got government contracts so they could money launder uh, from various operations. Uh, you know, they went into anything that would be illegal at that time. Uh, you know, the drug sales, gambling in some places is still illegal. And not every, every state has legalized gambling. So, you know, they'd work in, in those type of areas, anywhere where they could make money, uh, gentlemen clubs in some areas. You know, like I say, any operation where they felt they could make money, that's where they would be. And, you know, people ask me, well, is the outfit still around? We don't hear them. I said, yeah, there's four street crews. And they signed, uh, like, a joint venture with Kansas City who used to report to the outfit and um, with Philadelphia in 2022, okay? So, you know, they're still around, they're still active, but it's not the same activities that they had before, okay? A lot of it is, uh, you know, with uh, illegal activities in foreign countries, okay, which was kind of big, you know, in some cases gambling, some cases narcotics. So they've kind of spread around uh, using the Internet. That's big, too. They do a lot of scams on the Internet, it's uh, real estate, insurance, finance, dating services. Oh, yeah. They're big into that. So, so Kansas City different areas. Kansas City's a hub and Philadelphia's a hub? Yeah. 
Yeah, they're still they're still active. Kansas City has less than twenty. Philadelphia still has a pretty good amount. Yeah, they're still active. As of course, and the, and the five families in New York are still very active, very active. They're active in uh, construction companies, uh, you know, like waste management stuff, gambling, loan sharking. They're still into that. And they've been in in the laboring industry what? Even during the days of Jimmy Hoffa? Yeah, well, that that changed, of course, as, as time went on. Yeah, it was Jimmy Jimmy Hoffa actually brought uh, the mob into the union. The union wasn't involved with the mob activities, and that was because my father was knew Jimmy Hoffa right a long time before. In fact, he gave him money when he ran for his first uh, union office. So. Um, they went back a long way, and then when he became vice president, I asked my father, why didn't you talk with Dave Beck, who was the president? And he said, Beck is one of these guys that's always trying to put on a clean image, but was not a clean guy, and he got caught actually for embezzlement. Beck had started out as a longshoreman in Seattle, and he came from that background. And Jimmy Hoffa at the time was the first vice president, had worked his way up in the union, was the first vice president. And that's when my father talked to him about the $10 million loan for Las Vegas. And the first thing he asked my father is, what's in it for my guys? What, what are they going to get out of it? My father would say, jobs. They're going to have jobs. So, yeah, he had a good relationship. Jimmy Hoffa really didn't care for Sam Giancana or Tony Accardo. He didn't really talk to them. He talked to my father all the time. Wow. Uh, I'm going to go my ahead father and was involved radio. also with uh, uh, when Nixon wanted $300,000 for the pardon. My father and I, we delivered the money when it was ready, we got the call from uh, Joe, Josephine, his wife, that the 300000 ready. And uh, we went up to a cemetery. Met my father, we went up to a cemetery to meet a guy who was a former CIA agent and was involved in Watergate, especially uh, organizing and recruiting the, the plumbers who broke into the Watergate Hotel, in which it all started. E. Howard Hunt, who was a cold guy, you know, personality-wise. When you meet him, he was a cold guy. Wow. And the 300000 was given to him. Yeah. Unbelievable. I Radio station, we're not going to take a break. I, I don't want to pause. Let's just keep on going so we won't take a commercial break. So if that's all right, Scott, we're just going to keep on going. Because oh, I yeah, keep to, on going. I don't, want to, I don't want to break the flow here. And sometimes when we take commercial, we had to restart. 888-627-6008. If you want to get involved, you have a question, feel free to call in. But Scott Hoffman is our guest. And you want to look up his book to buy it by typing in Scott M, as in Max. Uh, that's not his middle name, but M uh, Hoffman. And that will get you straight to Inside. And it's an unbelievable book. So uh, there, the cover of it is right there. Thank you, uh, BBS Radio. And you want to uh, read this, buy this. It'll be one of those that you pick up and you won't be able to put it down. Uh, have you ever had anybody contact you, Scott, about the possibility of maybe doing a movie? Or is this too much real to do a movie? Well, you know, first of all, it's on Amazon to tell the people so they know where to go. Uh, right. That's they have to go to Amazon first and then put in everything as you told them. Uh, no one has really contacted me, you know, in the sense because in a lot of cases, as you know, it depends on the sales. You know, if you can show a large amount of sales, a tremendous amount of sales, 
you show interest, there might be somebody that would be interested. But in this case, it's the story that can sell itself. I'm just the messenger. It's the story. Right. And besides this, I know a lot more about a lot of other things involved. It's not only uh, even talking about mob stuff, okay? I know about uh, what happened with Cardinal John Cody, what was going on. He was the cardinal of the second largest archdiocese in, in uh, the United States in Chicago in the 1970s. And I know about how the criminal investigation started. I know what he was doing with the money, okay? And I know how he met Helen Doolin Wilson, okay, who he's spending the money on. Yeah, so I know a lot of other things. I also know there's always a story in history that Mayor of Chicago, Anton Cermak, in Florida, I guess it was around 1932, maybe when uh, Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt was running for president, took a bullet for him. And that's not the real story, okay? That's not the real story at all. He, was, he wasn't taking a bolt only for himself or what was happening. I know how things started with the Kennedys and the outfit. I know how they ended, which wasn't good, and it was all on them. So, yeah, I know a lot of things, a lot of things. You know, we talk, I met we, Marilyn Monroe. I know how she got the part in Some Like It Hot, but I don't rat anybody out, so I wouldn't tell her anything. It's just like... I know a couple of things about uh, Jennifer Lopez, but I would never say anything because, first of all, she's a lady. You respect her as a lady. And why hurt her? Same thing with uh, the reality show on, on Bravo, a Real Housewives of New Jersey, Melissa Gorga. In this case, it's not only her, it's her sister, it's her mother. Yeah, I know more about what the real reason was the cause of her father's death. Okay, it was more than just an accident, a car accident. There was... More to it. But again, I don't rat anybody out. I don't tell uh, on people. I don't, want, I don't want to hurt people, especially women. You don't want to hurt somebody, okay? And I know what, what can be done. So I keep these things to myself. Like I always say, I keep them in the attic in my brain. But yeah, I know a lot of things that not only if I can get someone to buy the book and make a movie, put it on Netflix, there's a lot more to tell them. And they could have a lot more episodes of things on Netflix from what I can tell them. Well, you know, I think um, you, we, we, we just skimmed the surface with the Kennedys. And we talked last time, I believe, about how everything went sour uh, with the mafia and their connection uh, when it came into, I believe, Reno. Um, yeah, it was, it was at South Lake Tahoe, Cal Neva, Tahoe. the casino at Cal Neva, yeah. South Lake Tahoe which is right near Reno. It's about an hour from Reno. Right. And so in your opinion and in your witnessing, you you knew for a fact um, that JFK, it wasn't a one-man uh, mission. It, had, it was a lot deeper than that. Oh, yeah. So it was much deep, deeper. Oh, yeah. It might have turned out to be a one-man mission. But that's, that was not uh, what was part of it. You know what I'm saying? It's like like uh, an umbrella. You hold an umbrella, but you might be holding your packages underneath from the grocery store, from the pharmacy. You know, there was more to it, a lot more to it. And that's why, you know, the Frank Sharon, the Irishman, you know, and I had to go back and watch movies, uh, mob movies, because I never used to watch them because when you're, involved in the life and you're seeing what I'm saying, um, you know, you're not really interested. But he always told me, yeah, I got I got Jack Ruby the rifle. 
Okay, he said, I bought him the rifle, and I sent him. He was that type of a guy, which is not true, because my father bought the rifle. He knew Jack Ruby. He knew Jack Ruby from the neighborhood. He got him a job uh, with uh, a guy on South State Street in Chicago, in downtown Chicago, the south end of what is known as the Loop, and that's because trains go around it. So it's you know, right. known as the Loop. Everyone refers to it. A guy who was doing business for Tony Accardo in strip clubs and peep shows, guy named High Shout Levin, my father knew him. So, yeah, so I asked Sharon, I said, do you know Jack Ruby? And he said, yeah, I know Jack Ruby. I said, what's Jack Ruby's real name? And he says, Jack Ruby. And I said, no, his real name is not Jack Ruby, okay? It's, it's, that's, that's not it. So, he, you know, he said to me, he says, well, you know, that's what I know him as. You know, it's Jack Ruby. And I said, no, that's, that's not his, you know, it's Jacob Leon Rubenstein. That was his real name. And he had, now my father didn't really know why he wanted the rifle, but the rifle was $12.99. So he mailed it to him. And the FBI, in tracking down, they tracked down Klein's sporting goods store, you know, where it was mailed from, but they could never find out who sent it, okay, because my father paid cash. And there was, they had a uh, Klein's sporting goods store. Sure, they had a record, but there was no name on there. All the name was mailed to Jack Ruby in Dallas. So, yeah, like I say, it was a lot deeper, a lot deeper. But Sharon, yeah, that's why he was kind of a guy who would tell you stories. It, you know, so when you see the movie, The Irishman, eh, that's not how it really was with him. Okay? That I can tell you. So were all the uh, the assassinations that took place just back to back to back, were they all connected Yes, 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 they were. Yeah, there, there was all a connection King? there. Martin Luther King, too? No, I don't think him, because he wasn't a threat, okay? He was not a threat. There was nothing Martin Luther King could do that could affect uh, the mob, could affect, the let's say, the outfit, okay? We'll, we'll use so them sure as the example. So both Kennedys were? Oh, that definitely, yes, yes, that, yeah, because of because of what went on, because of the uh, casino, the reneging, okay, the promises they made, and then once they got in office, everything changed, okay, now we're the bad guys, and Robert Kennedy's forming these strike forces, okay, and he's going to flip guys, that's what he said, I'm going to flip mob guys, he was going to be like how Tom Dewey was with uh, Charles Lucky Luciano, you know, in the late 1930s, early 40s, that catapulted, uh, shot up Tom Dewey into a national scene because he got Charles Lucky Luciano deported. Okay, and Luciano was the head of everything in New York, really, as far as mob activities. And I think Robert Kennedy had the same goal in mind. He's going to be a mob buster. Okay, but that's not what he said when they met, when Frank Sinatra had him there along with his brother John during the holiday season in 1958. That's not what he agreed to do. And he always said, yeah, can you talk with Sam Giancana and his friends? Okay? That was the whole deal for the election. And there's more, a lot more to that. So much, I could take up more than one show on really what happened behind there. But yeah, they were the problem. They were definitely the problem. And John really paid the price for Robert, who never liked to be called Bobby. That I'll tell you. Was always Bob. He introduced him to I'm Bob Kennedy. Never Bobby. He never liked it. He'd say, "What? Well, I'm not a kid. Don't call me Bobby." 
that was something the press hung on him, and they just gravitated to that all the time. But yeah, he was the real problem. That I can tell you. And he was the one chasing Marilyn Monroe, and she wasn't interested in him at all. Not at all. I knew about that, but when I met her, I didn't say nothing. I didn't, you know, never mentioned it at all. So yeah, I know a lot about that. So there was a lot more pieces to that machine, let's say. Yeah. Did um, Does the uh, political landscape today, is it controlled by certain people that... Yeah, it always was. So and, the, and what I mean by certain people, it's always, it was controlled always by high donors, okay? You know, locally, sure, mob would have involvement in local, maybe local races. But when you look, let's say, a presidential race, that's yeah. controlled by high donors, okay? They're the ones that really run the show because they're the ones that are giving the big money, okay? And without the big money, sure, you can go on... Uh, you know, do social media, but you still need a certain amount of that money for television, and television is very expensive. So, yeah, they're going to run the show. Okay, that's that's for sure. So, from your I mean, that's what heard uh, Nelson Rockefeller. He was too moderate of a person uh, when Gerald Ford picked him after Nixon resigned and he became, you know, president. That uh, this guy Dick Figieri, he was uh, a Republican, far right conservative. And uh, he and his organizations, they basically told Gerald Ford, look, you're going to lose the evangelical vote. You're going to lose the Baptist vote. You know, all the very conservative uh, religions, you're going to lose all that if you keep Rockefeller on. And that's when Gerald Ford dumped him and took on Bob Dole. And I talked with Dole later, and he said, yeah, he got the call from Gerald Ford. And he said, yeah, yeah, I've got to dump uh, Nelson. Would you be on the ticket with me? Do you think as we go into the Iowa caucus uh, this coming week, do you think the mafia is sitting on the edge of their seat wanting certain people to win? And as this political presidential election heats up, do, do, do they care like they used to? No, they don't care at all. They, they haven't cared since Robert Kennedy, to be honest with you. Because so every no one of them. Anymore. No, because no, because no one was forming any strike forces or any, you know, really doing anything like that. Sure, you would still have cases. Oh, you know, cases are always going to occur uh, from the U.S. Attorney's Office wherever there's a mob family. If they can make a case, they're going to make a case. But that's individual stuff. This was right. uh, Robert Kennedy was on a grand scale. You know, it was on a grand scale. I'm going to take out Boston. I'm going to take out Chicago. I'm going to take out New York, Philadelphia. You know what I mean? It was a grand scale. And uh, basically, you got to remember when um, Lyndon Johnson became president, uh, he put in Tom Clark's son, Ramsey Clark. Okay, Tom Clark was the U.S. Supreme Court justice at the time. And Ramsey Clark, he didn't have any strike forces. Sure, if if they would make a case in Chicago against the outfit, he'd give the okay, sure, go ahead and prosecute. But he didn't have any strike forces. He didn't have any goals. He wasn't looking for something like Robert Kennedy was looking for something to help his political career. That's all what it was about. So, no, they don't. They could care less about who the attorney general is. You know what I mean? It it doesn't mean anything because they know whoever it is uh, is always going to try and make cases against them anyways. uh, You know, supporting the local U.S. attorney of that area, of that district. So they don't care about uh, the ones who care. And I'll tell you, because I know a couple of, of them. 
are the big donors for, like, say, Ron DeSantis, who they're really complaining about him, okay? They're really unhappy with him. They felt he should have been much more aggressive, and so he's, he's had a hard time raising some money. But as far as mob is concerned with, um, you know, who becomes president, that's just another deal for them. You know, no, another person, they don't, they don't care. Do they, do they care about who's the mayor of Kansas City, Philadelphia, Chicago? In, in, a, in a way, in a way, but not not so much. Because you they, they don't have, see, the one big thing that they don't have is they don't have the politicians. I mean, I'd be with my father on corrupt politicians when you pay off corrupt politicians. And he'd always say to me, Scott, remember this, Democrat, Republican, they're just labels, Okay. Always remember, they both take the envelope, don't they? I said, yes, they do. So he said, the day they don't take the envelope, then you tell me which party is better than the other. And I'd be with them, and Republican legislators would take the envelope. The Democratic legislators would take the envelope. So then I'd ask him, I said, are there any clean politicians in Illinois? Using Illinois, because we're a corruption city in this state, okay? Yeah. And he'd say to me, yeah, there are clean politicians, the ones that don't get caught. Those are your clean politicians. <laughs> so then I'd say to him, why do we, you know, what's the reason really for voting? And he'd say to me, look, we, we vote because we got to get our crooks in to do for us. Otherwise, we won't get jobs. We won't be able to make money. And if the other side gets their crooks in, then they're going to get all the uh, jobs and all the gravy and everything. So then, then he finishes the conversation, almost finishes it. He says, remember, anybody that goes into politics goes in as a whore, and comes out as a prostitute. The faces change, but the nonsense always remains the same. He said, just like mob life. He said, you go from one boss to another, sure, you change the face. Still the same nonsense. Loan sharking, gambling, extortion, you name it. Drug trafficking, adult pornography, child pornography, any scam they can put together, uh, you know. So, And besides that, I mean, we had doctors on the payroll who were writing prescriptions for amphetamines, 150, 200 tablets a month, and they would get 20%. The outfit would be selling them on the street for, uh, you know, five times the worth. And these doctors, they didn't care about losing their license or anything. They're writing these scripts like crazy. Uh, we had two doctors who would write uh, scripts for a drug called Paragoric. It was a legal drug. It was a liquid drug that really started in the 1920s and stopped about the 1970s. And they were writing prescriptions like crazy for that. And the reason being, that drug was uh, very popular if you had extreme diarrhea, if over-the-counter stuff wouldn't help you, a doctor would write a prescription. But the reason it was so popular on the street, and guys would guzzle it down when they get it, it had a small amount of opium in there. And the opium was really what would stop the diarrhea problem. But these guys would drink it to get high on the opium. So we had two doctors writing prescriptions, not maybe 100, 125 a month for these bottles. And that was going on the street, and they got like 10%. So there was a lot of action going on. And, you know, that's, and that's, but that's what he told me with politicians. He said, don't ever, don't ever trust a politician. After Sam Giancana told him about Cal Neva and what maybe, the, you know, he was thinking about, he asked my father, what did he think? And my father said, Sam, if you want to do it, I'm 100% behind you. But he tells me, he said, it's a bad idea because you can't trust politicians. They'll turn on you. Republican, Democrat, they will turn on you. Okay. 
unless the only time they're with you is when they need your vote. After they get your vote, they're on their way to help whoever they want to help. And that doesn't mean they're always going to want to help you. So he was not happy with the Kennedys, but, you know, he stayed on the sidelines and let them let them see what was going to happen. And they saw what happened. Wow. With technology, Internet, all of that, uh, has that made uh, the the mafia, the mobsters, the underground uh, more susceptible to get involved in that? And there's big time money in that. Oh, yeah, very much so. In what areas, Scott? Uh, Basically, uh, it'd be financial. It'd be real estate, dating. See, like my father would always say, the reason we have guys, people go to strip clubs and, you know, things like that, and B-girl bars to meet a girl, who basically, a B-girl bar was a place um, that uh, a woman would sit down next to a man, a guy would come in. The 50-cent beer was $2.50. The dollar cocktail was maybe $5, and the girls would listen to them, and they'd be given what looked like beer, but was never beer. It was near beer. Uh, some of your older listeners might remember near beer. It looked like beer. It, it tasted like beer, but it did not have alcoholic content. So these girls would order a beer or two, and they wouldn't have to worry about uh, getting high or anything on liquor. And, you know, but it, it, he'd always say the reason you have people, when people are lonely, they will do anything to meet somebody, okay? And that's really what happens on, that's what's happening online with these dating services. You see so much scamming. And this is maybe somebody lost a spouse or somebody is trying to meet somebody, a single person, and they take advantage of them. They steal pictures. I knew there's one guy in New York, a, a Gambino guy. He was running a, a service, dating service. He'd be stealing, like say he'd steal your picture and put it online for some woman in Kansas or, you know, someone who was some woman in Tennessee or someplace that was looking to meet a nice gentleman. And that poor gentleman didn't know, like in your case, Dave, they took your picture. You didn't know that your picture was being used to scam someone out of a lot of money. And this guy would scam some of these women, 60000 80000 One woman was close to 300000 They're all their life savings. And they were scammed in a phony dating service. So the internet has, has helped, <laughs> you know, like my father would say, if he was alive, he would say, thank God for cell phones and tablets. And I'd say, why would you say that? And he would say to me, Scott, when people are so involved with their cell phone and their tablets and their computers and all technology, they don't pay attention to anything. So we can get away with stuff like crazy because they're all so involved with technology they don't even know what's passing them by on the train. And that's the truth, you know? So, yeah, these guys use technology quite a bit, and it's a shame. It's a shame of, you know, like I say, people are scammed out of their money, but it's real estate deals, financial deals. Uh, they'll promise them more Social Security. And as you and I both know and your listeners know, that's not how Social Security works, okay? You know, someone can't call up the Social Security office and say, can you help uh, – Mr. Gregory Williams, and get him more money. But yet these people will fall for it because they want to fall for it. You know, and that's that's how criminals work, whether it's mob guys, whether it's guys from Nigeria, Russia, who's ever pulling the scams, Eastern Europe. They don't care. They don't care because people, like I say, when they want something, whether it's loneliness, 
whether it's more of a financial gain, they'll fall for stuff. And unfortunately, with the Internet, it looks clean. But as my father would always say, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. I said, even if mom says she loves me, he said, right. Even if mom says she loves you, you check it out. Because he'd always say, with wise guys, 90% of them were lies, he said, what they would tell you, and 10% was BS. So what's left after that 100%? So that's why you always got to check things out, always. He would always tell me that, and he was that way. He would never accept yeah. anything face value. We only have a couple minutes before they, they cut us off, Scott. Um, are you taking anything to your grave one day that would absolutely be headlines if they knew what you know about it? Uh, yeah, 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 I think so. I think so. I think so. So there's some things that you just flat haven't told anybody? No, no. No, I haven't told anybody. They don't know. They have no idea. But, yeah, there's, there's things that people would say, he or she did that? They were involved with that? Yeah, yeah. And it would surprise a lot of people. It would surprise people, especially some things I know about some religious people, okay, top religious people that had their own shows. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. But, again, um, you know, you have to take into consideration that there are family members who thought their mom or their dad was just the greatest. And why hurt their feelings? You know, why hurt their feelings? For some, just to tell a, a story to some social media to make a couple of bucks, why go ahead and hurt them? Yeah. Well, tell you what, Scott, I, I can't thank you enough for being with us again tonight. I want uh, TJ to put the uh, the book cover back up. Uh, on the screen so we can see it if you, if you can uh, one more time because it is by Scott M. Hoffman. You can type that right into the Amazon page and it's called Inside and you will not want to put this book down once you open it and start reading it. And I believe you can probably uh, download it right now electronically uh, is that right, Scott? Do you, uh, there's an electronic version of this one, too? Yeah. You know, when it was sold, when it's on Amazon, it's sold as a paperback and Kindle. Kindle. And I'm, and yeah. some people, more people bought the paperback because there's still people who like to read a paperback book. And I'll find the book, you know, when they get it or, you know. But there are people, I have people who bought it as Kindle. And they enjoy it very much as Kindle. They listen to it on the train to work or maybe in the car when they're driving on a longer trip. So, yeah, it can be bought either way, as a paperback or as Kindle. It's on their book. We'll get this book. It's very entertaining, very informative, and I don't believe I've ever read a book or seen a movie about the mafia or that type of underground activity because my mom was a huge fan of those books. She read every one that was out there uh, from the eyes of a child. And this is a complete different perspective, and I appreciate you sharing it with us tonight. Yes, thank you very much, and thank your listeners also for listening to me. Thank you, Scott. And we'll have you back on, because I don't even think I got to any of these questions that I have here, because <laughs> I just enjoy talking to you and listening to you talk, and the wisdom that you have, the information just pours out of you. Thank you for being an awesome guest, Scott. I appreciate it. 
Thank you very much. And stay warm up there because I understand it's below zero. Yes, it is. Well, we're, we're, we're trying to do our best. <laughs> okay. Well, take care. We will talk to you soon. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good night. And what we'd like to do every single week, like we do every week, uh, time and time again to close the program out, is that no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've seen, what you've experienced, and what you're fixing to deal with tomorrow, uh, possibly even when you have a day off of work, and it's not so good that something happens to you. I want to let you know that no matter what, there's always, always, always hope. Never give up on hope. Never, never, never. And I want to let you know that you're never alone either. Somebody around will want to talk to you. And I want you to join us next week right here from Houston, Texas, uh, Sunday night, 8 p.m. Central Time uh, for another live edition of this program. And I can't say how thankful I am that you listen, uh, you comment, and uh, hopefully you enjoy. God bless you and have an awesome week. Stay warm. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. Thank you.